This is 358 Health, Fitness and Mindset Podcast, the show that gives you the tools to integrate the principles of a healthy lifestyle into your schedule without having to give up the things that you enjoy in your life. If you want to improve your body and your mind, then 358 is the place to be. Your host, Jack Buffery, is your personal development trainer and creator of the 358 programs. Find out more about 358 and sign up for the free seven-day challenge at www.358fitness.com. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Jack Buffery and welcome to the 358 Health, Fitness and Mindset podcast. I've got a great episode for you today with Josh Bowen. But before we get into that, I just wanted to say that today's episode is brought to you by 358 Thrive and 358 Thrive Upgrade. Now, 358 Thrive is a free community based on Facebook where you can basically see all of the principles of the 358 system laid out. Plus, you get free modules. Uh, there's units to do in the Facebook group that guide you through everything. Basically, you can get amazing results just by following all the free stuff that's in that group. Plus, you get to ask questions, interact with other members, and everything else that makes good Facebook communities great. So, the upgrade version is basically getting all of that coaching stuff, but also having your own app which will guide you with videos through workouts and give you daily to do lists so you make sure you're hitting everything to optimize your life. Now, moving on to today's episode, my guest today is Josh Bowen. Now, Josh is based over in the States, and he is an absolutely phenomenal trainer who has been doing it for many, many years. And we talk about his progression um, professionally through the the kind of fitness industry, where he's been, what he's done, what brought him out of more of the corporate side of things and made him focus on the training side of things again. And what makes him so valuable as a trainer is that he is very real world based. He understands people. He's worked with all different kinds of people from all different backgrounds. And he's not only just a great trainer, but he's also a great human being. He's written a few books where he goes into his mindset and philosophy of training. I've checked out a couple now I've read a bit more than um, I had when I actually conducted this interview and he's also heavily involved in charity work as well which we go into there as well this is a very um, information-packed episode let's just say that and I'm very keen to do a follow-up you'll understand why after you've listened to this but anyway let's crack on with the show I won't talk your ear off anymore instead you can listen to us to chat uh, there is a little bit of a break in between where I think my router reset itself halfway through the interview but there's not much of an interruption and it should just flow through but without further ado enjoy the episode and i will see you soon okay then josh so um with the with the guest sheet that i sent you the the first question is actually um how would you describe what it is you do? Now, for listeners of this show, they're going to know that isn't exactly how I asked this first question. Um, so just to put a okay. little spin on the first question, what I'm going to ask you is, if we had to flip the script and, um, <clears throat> and you were me introducing yourself, how would you introduce yourself and what you do? Oh, boy. How <laughs> How would I introduce myself? Uh, I think I would introduce myself as a fitness coach and trainer who 
specializes in the development of people becoming the best version of themselves. Excellent. That is, uh, that's great. And that is also, uh, you know, that, that's very, that, that's very open-ended as well. And I, 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 we, from our previous conversation, you have a very diverse, um, set of clients that you work with as well, don't you, from all walks of life? Uh, I've got them from, you know, you know, pre-teens to a 73 year old man with four heart attacks and three ex-wives. So, <laughs> It kind what, of runs the gamut. What what caused the uh, what caused the other heart attack? We've obviously got three accounted for them. <laughs> you know, if if that if like this dude has like changed my life. Uh, he, I mean, he he has taught me a lot about life. But I, I think if he were sitting here right now, I don't think he would have said that the divorces caused him the heart issues. It may be the forty cigarettes that he smoked every day. Uh, may have contributed to his issues, but uh, you know, women women may have uh, have have killed his heart too. But he's still alive. So excellent. That's because it's because he met you and you traded him. That's why. <laughs> so, That's right. Yeah. So um, I mean, how long have you been doing what you've been doing, then, Josh? And and let's have a little bit of a story of, of what you, how you got into it and where you are now, so people um, so people understand. Okay. Well, I have been a personal trainer, fitness coach for 17 years. Mm -hmm. I was a very skinny kid when I graduated high school. I was like 140 pounds. I'm probably six feet tall. Um, I had always been enamored with bodybuilders and professional wrestlers and their bodies. And I got sick when I was a senior in high school and I lost like 20 pounds and that's why I got down to 140. And I went to the doctor, doctor said, Hey, listen, you're going to have to start putting on some weight. And so I immediately thought, you know what, I'm going to go do what I've always wanted to do was to go work out. So I started working out and I just started to see this transformational process in me. To the point where I was like, you know what, when I go to school, I, I want to major in something that has to do with sports, you know. So I had this conversation with a girl and she said, you know what, you should major in kinesiology. And I was like, what the hell is that? So I go and I research it and I was like, okay, fine. So I start picking all the, the classes that I would need for this degree. In the process of that, my mom had come to me and said, hey, why don't you be a trainer? And I was like, no, I don't really want to be a trainer. Because back then, trainers weren't as sophisticated as they are now. And how long ago and was back then, just for a little bit of context? How, how long ago was that? I'd say 19, 18 years ago. Mm -hmm. So the early 2000s. You know, the industry is still not regulated, but it definitely was not regulated back then. Mm. So at least here in the United States. And so I was like, I don't really want to do that. But she's like, well, I'll pay for your first degree or whatever she calls it. So I started Googling things and I came up with this certification. So I bought the stuff, I studied for it and I passed my test. And in the process of that, I was trying to get a job as a trainer. And where I live is kind of like a a small city that wants to be big and if you make the wrong impression you're kind of like outcasted 
So I guess I made the wrong impression with some of the trainers of the gym that I was working at. And I couldn't get a job. So I go to Las Vegas for a trip and I meet this girl who happens to be from Lexington where I live. And I strike up a conversation with her. I try to hit on her. That goes literally nowhere. But fast forward, fast forward about 30 days and she starts working at the gym. And so I stopped her and I said, listen, I don't know what I got to do to like get into this gig here, but like, I'll do whatever it takes. And so she gave me my first job as a trainer. And then here we are. Excellent. Fantastic. And, uh, and uh, I mentioned to you before we started recording that I'd, uh, <clears throat> that I would, that I'd read a bit of your book already. And uh, one, of the, um, one of the points you make there is that there is, there's no such thing as failure. And there you go. You hit on the girl. That didn't work. But you got a job out of it anyway. So, you know, there is no such thing as failure. There's, everything's leading to something. So <laughs> that makes right. sense. Um, <clears throat> so how was, your, how was your journey evolved since then? And, and this was, was this still early 2000s, but late 90s, early 2000s? Yeah, this was probably 2003, 2004. Mm-hmm. Um, when I started training, I really became enamored with it. I was like, you know, this is like right up my alley. And the part of it was because I realized very early on that training people was not really about exercise. It was more about psychology. And my mom has always worked in mental health. And so I've been around a lot of crazy ass people in my life. So psychology was always an interest of mine. So I focused a lot on that side of the, the, you know, the, the trade, I guess. And like the people that I was, I was working for Gold's Gym and they were like, you know what, you really are great at teaching other trainers how to train. Why don't we just give you like this position where you go around and you start training other trainers? And I was like, all right. So two years into me training, I was like thrown into this position of, going from being in one gym to then having 20 gyms in three states. I had no job description. I had no job title. I had to create my own title. I had absolutely no idea what I was getting paid, but this was just blind faith. This is what I should do. So this is what I started doing. So fast forward a few years, I've got 36 gyms in seven states. And I'm not doing any personal training. I'm literally training trainers how to train. I'm doing workshops. I'm hiring and firing. I'm developing protocols, doing human resource work, you know, basically keeping the trainers in line and trying to improve the product as much as possible. And we got in a position as a company where we were going to sell. And we sold to LA Fitness. And if anybody out there is listening, knows anything about LA Fitness, they don't really give two shits about personal training. Um, So they had come to me in the process of buying us and told me, hey, we want you to be over all 600 of our clubs. Wow. And they were going to pay me a bunch of money and this and that. But our philosophies and our vision of what personal training was was not the same so I made a very judgment call 
three days into working for them and I walked out with no job and wow. nothing. And I decided to just go on my own. That's, so uh, that's incredible. So what was the, um, what was the disconnect between your vision of personal training and their vision? They always looked at trainers as being expendable. Whereas the industry is unregulated, so we can literally find anybody to fill this position. And I didn't look at it that way. I looked at it as I wanted this to be like a place where new, young, upcoming trainers wanted to learn their craft. And then at a certain point, they would leave and go on their own. They didn't care about any of that. They wanted to pay them very little. They didn't care about their education. They didn't care about the value that they presented, the results that they got. And I just can't work in that environment. No, that, that's completely understandable. And <clears throat> me personally, I've, for that reason, I've, I've never actually worked in a gym um, from the moment I qualified as a personal trainer I started renting out halls then I've gradually acquired equipment now I've got my own little personal gym space and just uh, yeah I've, I've never had a desire to work in like a, a big box gym and um, for context of a listener who doesn't know and you, you actually Josh you've probably got a better idea of this so I might ask you this question but um, <clears throat> the business model for a gym they have like a, a certain percentage that if, if everybody was to go into the gym at once they wouldn't all fit and have you got any insight on that just to give uh, just give the listeners a, a rough idea of how gyms kind of structure their business to get people in but uh, assume they're not going to turn up basically so if you look at businesses that are publicly traded on the stock market mm. The majority of businesses work on a business model that is based on success, okay? Gyms are actually prey upon people's failures because if you sign up 100 people to work out in your gym, the likelihood of those 100 people coming in every day is like slim to none. Hmm. So they usually work on a percentage of, you know, 80% of the people that join a gym never even go, or they go once a week or once every couple of weeks. So the likelihood of people being a success is slim to none. Well, that's where personal training came into play and where it sparks from is, okay, well, let's get people to actually get results and create another revenue stream. So gyms are... You know, it's a failure model. It's like golf. You know, you get, you know, golf is the only sport where a negative is a positive. You know, mm. if you're under par, if you're negative one, negative two, negative three, that's a good thing. Well, and the same thing in the, in the, you know, gym space. There's only so many people you can fit in a 10,000 square foot gym. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of, um, <clears throat> during so if you're listening to this depending when you're listening to it if you're listening to it around the time it comes out um we're i say we're coming out of lockdown it's hard to say at the moment a lot of the world is out of lockdown some places in the world are going back into lockdown from the whole COVID-19 thing <clears throat> and a, a lot of gyms are kind of noticing 
that people have been cancelling because people are enjoying working out at home or they realise that, you know, I'm paying for this monthly membership um, that I don't use. And I think maybe a lot of gyms that just, you know, had personal trainers on the book but didn't treat them, didn't use them, utilise their skill set for keeping people getting results, they're now starting to lose their clients because the people who had a membership now have no reason to stay because there's nothing personal there. They don't get anything special there. Whereas a personal trainer can offer that special kind of something to, to make someone want to stay with them. Yeah. I mean, 90% of the reason why people fail in their fitness attempts is because they don't have a support system. Mm. And that's what personal training or group classes or boot camp or CrossFit or orange theory or whatever the hell it is supplies that extra level of support and i don't have the exact statistics but i can tell you working in a big box gym i mean sixty thousand square foot gyms to working in a one-on-one personal training studio that the level of service and support is now gravitating towards these smaller studios mm. whereas the the bigger gyms I mean, they've in the United States, they've all filed for bankruptcy. Mm, doesn't surprise me. They're paying hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of rent with nobody in there, and they can't charge them because mm. they're not offering the service. So, and people are realizing, hey, I wasn't getting the service anyway. I can work out in my home or go to mm. a small gym and get better results. <laughs> Yeah, and I think that that really does create a um, uh, disparity between a personal trainer studio and a big gym because the PT studios that were kind of forward-thinking during this time have been able to give still more personalized service to their clientele, whether that's because there's already a relationship there. The, The clients aren't a number, they're a real person. And people have been able to, so PT studios have been able to reach out to them online, create Facebook groups and connect with them via other ways. Whereas a big box gym has no... It might have a way to do it, but no way that's going to have a real personal um, personal impact on the individual. Whereas, uh, yeah, there's definitely a definitely a big difference there between the approaches. And and what has also created this uh, opportunity for the online coaching world, which is where I have, you know, pivoted some of my business towards because there's such a demand for it because people are they don't have gyms to go to or they don't want to go to the gym because of covid Mm. they realize they can do the things in their homes and all they really need is the 90 percent that they're not getting from the gym which is someone to coach them Mm. hold them accountable and supply them support whereas the big box gyms would never be able to do that Mm. yeah I, I definitely think over the next 12 months or so i mean there's already been a big shift and we're, we're only at the beginning of it we're still going to see big changes um big changes coming up i believe um so what was your um your path has evolved now so is, is it a pt studio you run now is it solely pt or do you have members how does it how does your business work now it's it's all personal training Mm. Uh, we, we do have a few, like, I guess you'd call it small group sessions and whatnot, but for the most part, it's by appointment only. Mm. We've got five other trainers 
Um, they've got their clientele and, you know, we all just kind of work together and, you know, make sure our people are getting results. They like the intimate ad atmosphere and the whole COVID thing is taken out of play because I don't have 60,000 square feet I have to clean. I only have 2,000 square feet I have to clean. Mm. So as long as we're cleaning after every workout, I mean, everything should be fine. Absolutely ideal, yeah. And so, so what was the real, um, <clears throat> what was the defining moment you had when you decided to say no to, um, to managing all these clubs across the country to say, you know what? this is what I really want to do instead. What did you have like a defining moment? that was like, yeah, no, I don't want to do this. Well, the defining moment happened on my third day working with them. I was in one of the gyms that they had made me go to because I needed to rehab it. And there was a trainer there that I had fired personally from the clubs that I owned mm. or managed or whatever. And so this dude comes up to me and is like, Josh, I think you should just walk out of the door right now. And I was like, all right. I mean, do we have beef? Do we have issues? You know, I mean, I come in peace, you know, mm. he's like, no, it has nothing to do with that. I respect you enough to tell you that this isn't the kind of place for you. This is that they don't respect what you're going to do. And you're just going to be unhappy. And I'd already kind of made my mind up anyway. But right there, as soon as he met, as soon as he had that conversation with me, I was out of the door. Mm. Kudos to that guy then for uh, <clears throat> actually having the balls to come up to you and say something like that because many people wouldn't do that. So that's uh, yeah, fair play yeah. to him, and uh, it, it obviously worked out well for you. So, what's your um, what what does your kind of schedule day to day look like now? You we spoke earlier on before we start recording. You've already had clients and phone calls and stuff. So what what does your daily kind of routine look like at the minute? So I am probably seventy percent of my time is spent training one on one clients. Thirty mm. percent of my time is servicing my online coaching clients. And then that's a hundred percent. So we're going to go another 25% <laughs> is spent, is spent. Uh, you know, I have a private Facebook group. I do a lot of videos that, you know, are basically the things that people struggle with and talking their language and being able to show them that, you know, this, this is, you know, what, what you're dreaming of is possible mm. if you just do X, Y, and Z, you know, and I try to authentically attract them and that's how I build business. Mm. So that's kind of where I spend my time. And then, mm. you know, every once in a while I eat and I work out and I sleep and those kind of things. <laughs> every now and again. Well, yeah, the, the realities of a trainer, you need that 125% of a day every day. It's just, you know, 24 hours a day doesn't exist. <laughs> um, that's right. So for um, for the listeners, I mean, many of them are going to know already that what I do is predominantly online as well. But, uh, you know, there's new listeners coming on every week. So could you, this is something I've never actually discussed on the podcast, and I've only just realized this now. Um, <clears throat> could you perhaps go into the differences between... Um, and so the audience you're speaking to is general population. It's, it's not doesn't tend to be other trainers. So could you give them a little bit of enlightenment between what 
the benefits are um, between training and online training and speak to which might be best suited for which kind of group? Absolutely. So I look at personal training as people that really truly do need that extra level of accountability Mm. and, you know, counting reps and being able to program and still be able to provide that advice, that listening ear, that empathetic person to, or that, you know, put your foot in your ass kind of person, you know, depending upon who they are, Mm. to be able to help them get on a road to results. Online coaching is the other 90% of that. Whereas that ability to have that accountability and that support with still being able to draw out a nutritional blueprint that fits in their lifestyle, who they are, their body type, etc. And then a transformational workout program that hit, that helps them hit their goals. Mm-hmm. So it's, not to demean either one because I think they both really have their place. It depends on the person, Mm. but you know, there are people that I online coach that I have never met, you know? Mm. So, and they live all over the place. So I'm able to still provide this massive value to these people without ever them stepping foot and seeing me in person. Mm. And yet I'm still able to, with the people that I train one-on-one to do that same thing with, I just don't get the opportunities sometimes to do the rest of the piece, if Mm. that makes sense. Yeah, no, that makes complete sense. And I I really like the way you said that about, I mean, online training, it really does cover 90% of what we need to do as coaches. I think the the other 10%, um, I, I think if you're a complete beginner, then the, you, I mean, definitely you can still be online trained, but there's definitely benefits of seeing someone in person to start with to make sure form, posture, everything like that is, is correct. Um, we can get you there online. It's just a bit more time consuming, something that could probably be done better and faster in person. But once someone has the basics, the, the posture, the form down, I, I think where online training comes into its own is that clients can then do that completely on their own schedule. It doesn't need to be put into a 45 minute or a 60 minute or a 90 minute block. It can be done in their own time, whatever time of day, not relying on a schedule. Um, and then there are some people on the other side of things who prefer the in-person being told, you know, having that person standing next to them. So both have their benefits. And I, I think, um, you know, both are, both are extremely valuable, but online training is so new, people don't really know what it is yet. Um, and it's still something that is evolving over time. And it's obviously had a massive kick in the arse since, uh, since COVID started because everyone is, you know, working out the best way to deliver, the best way to program, et cetera, et cetera. So um, would you say that the, the, last, the events of the last three months have spurred that side on for you of, of developing that side of what you do? Well, that was, that was what did it. Mm. You know, I, I was always a little apprehensive about it because I didn't think that I would be able to, to live up to my expectations. 
But when I started doing it, I started realizing that, that I was able to do that because the people that I had as clients, the workout portion to this, I don't want to, to you know, demean it, but it's like, it isn't the most important piece. Mm, the most important, the most important piece is really relies within, you know, your ears, between mm -hmm. your ears is your mind. And then secondarily being able to figure out what type of nutritional blueprint that you need to be on to hit the goals that you're trying to hit and not be so restrictive with your food and, you know, afraid of this, that, or the other, or be so tied into a diet that is ultimately going to not get you the results you want anyway. So we focus a lot on mindset and focus a lot on nutrition. The workouts just help all that move along. Yeah, and definitely. And, and like you say, although workouts are an important piece of the puzzle, and you know, programming does, um, does definitely come into play, pretty much any decent enough program will get the physical results, but it's just the, the client's ability to be coached in, on the mental aspects of it, I think, that, that really are important. And as again, as I said before, um, <clears throat> before we jumped on the recording, that um, I've read part of your books, and, and that's something we've skipped over, by the way, you, you've offered, is it, is it three books you've written now? They I have yet? three. Yeah, so um, <clears throat> I, I was looking through that, and and there is so many similarities between um, my thinking and what you've written down in your books. And it's, it's just brought up a load more questions that are in my head. But one of the things I wanted to ask you that, that we spoke about very briefly, um, and I think you said it relates to your books, is, is you have an interesting nickname of Buff Gandhi. So uh, if, if you could go into that and explain where that nickname come from and how that tied into to the books that you wrote. So this is interesting. So the second book that I wrote is called Your Time Is Now. Mm. And I wrote this book in a hotel room in um, right outside of Vail, Colorado. And I had a very close personal friend and client who for the longest time tried to get pregnant. And she just, she had miscarriages and she was on all these different in vitro drugs and just was trying her damnedest to get pregnant. And finally she gets, a, you know, she gets the pregnancy and she carries this baby all the way until within one week of a scheduled C-section. And the baby ends up being a stillborn. And for those that don't know what that is, it's basically the baby is deceased inside the womb. So then, obviously, the worst case scenario is you have to go in there and actually, you know, take the baby out. So it was like the most devastating thing ever. I mean, the, cl the clients that we had, I mean, we were posting videos of her deadlifting and things of that nature, pregnant to inspire people that, you know, this is possible for you to continue to work out while you're pregnant. And people were just like loving all this information and this content. Well, it ends up, you know, the baby ends up dying. So I kind of go in like a dark place because, you know, I really was close to this person 
I was close to the situation and it was just like traumatic. So I start writing all these different blogs. And one day I'm sitting in this office and one of my other trainer's clients came in the room and she said, hey, I really appreciate the stuff you've been writing. It's really motivational to me and it's inspired me to, you know, do whatever. And I was like, yeah, I really appreciate that. She's kind of like, you're like Gandhi. And I was like visualizing Gandhi in my mind. I was like, well, he's like a little skinny Indian guy, you know? And I was like, well, how about Gandhi with muscles? She's like, yeah, you should get like a Twitter handle and just be like Gandhi with muscles. And I was like, okay. So a couple hours later, I'm talking to this client during a session, telling her the story. And she's like, that's not your name. Your name is Buff Gandhi. <laughs> And I was like, okay. Now, I never called myself this, okay? I just want to make sure that that's clear. I started doing these posts, but I would hashtag it. And all of a sudden, every post that I made, I hashtagged this name, and people still to this day, and it's even tattooed across my throat. Excellent. Uh, that this is, this is what they call me. <laughs> That's a fantastic name. <laughs> you got the best of both worlds there. You got the mindset and the muscle. I mean, what's not to like? There we go. What is it? What's not to like, you know? <laughs> and so the third book that I released, I actually released it under that name. Excellent. Fantastic. So how did that, you, you said um, in, our, uh, in our email interactions that the name itself kind of influenced the books as well. So how did that come across from the blog post to writing actual, uh, writing actual books? You know, if you if you do a lot of research on Gandhi, you know, you, you kind of roll into some things that you didn't know about him. But, you know, there there is this piece of this this individual that's that's motivating that uh, has given up his life to, you know, make sure that there's peace and things of that nature. So, it, it, you know, with this alter ego, I guess you have created this like person that is motivating but still would put its foot in your ass if you're not doing what you need to do you know mm -hmm. and so it's influenced a lot of different things it's influence i mean i've i've put it on shirts i've there are people that only refer to me as this um you know it's it's influenced a lot of different things in my life actually interesting enough Mm. Yeah, a little bit of introspection there on, on that on that point there where you're thinking hold on a minute this really has you know affected a lot of stuff um and it, do, do you still never refer to yourself as buff gandy is it still for others or have you, have you taken it upon yourself uh, uh, no so uh um you know it's funny uh my ex my ex-girlfriend um i'm really super close to her kids right so and they, <laughs> that's what they call me. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. Right. I mean, it's just like, it, I don't know. It's just, it, I, I do call myself that now because it's, mm. you know, people call me that, but not too often, I guess. The, I don't, thing, I never, I've never introduced myself as that, so. Oh, please, can I, can I challenge you to do that at the next social gathering? You have, oh, what's your name? Buff Gandhi, what's yours? <laughs> that, would, that would just be phenomenal. Um, <clears throat> so, I mean, 
the, the books you've written then, and, and that should give people a good idea of the mentality you have. Um, what, what are the main focus? And, and like I said, I've, uh, you know, I'll be Bruce Beals, I haven't finished, um, uh, I've forgotten the title of it. What was the second book called again? Uh, your time is now. Your time is now. That's the one I've started. I think I'm about well, on the Kindle. I'm about seventy percent of the way through, or or something like that. And uh, you just touch on a lot of mindset stuff and bits and pieces. So, I mean, what what kind of been what was the goal of putting pen to paper and collating your thoughts in in books as opposed to um, just on the internet blog posts and stuff like that? What was the idea behind that? I was. I was challenged to write my first book uh, by a client of mine who had me write a chapter in his book. And so when we published his book, I had a chapter in there and he was like, I, you just, you got to write your own book. So I wrote my first book called 12 steps to fitness freedom. Well, when I was in Colorado, I was at a mastermind event actually. And my coach did the same damn thing. She's like, you're writing all this stuff. Like, I don't understand why you haven't written the book yet. Mm. So I go upstairs to my hotel room and I write this book. Now, this isn't, this isn't, you know, the, uh, you know, it's not Hamlet. It's not, you know, this, this huge dictionary book. It's pretty short, but I, I, I just wanted to be able to, with this second book, I wanted to be able to sell it to give the money back to charity. Mm. That was really the point. So I wanted to share my voice, share my story, motivate people, but I also wanted to make a difference in a charity because the charity was called Now I Lay Me Down to Sleep, which is an organization that does photography for parents who have lost children. Mm. So I wanted to parallel this passion that I had for writing to then be able to give back to this organization that had helped my friend out. Mm. Of course. Yeah. And that's um, <clears throat> the, the book itself, the forward in that is, is written by the lady who you were discussing earlier on. I'm, I'm I guess the same person. Yeah. And that's, um, you know, that's, that's powerful reading in itself, just the forward of that. But what I really like, I mean, you say it's a short book, but I think it's as long as it needs to be from what I've read so far, because there's, there's no fluff involved. You, you get to the point with what's, what needs to be heard, and it's, it's all valuable information. I mean, you're not, being a, you're not being a dickhead about it. You're being a real person about it, and you say the things that need to be said in a way that people can relate to. And it comes back to what we were saying about you know, the mindset approach and what's in between your ears being one of the most important parts of a fitness journey. <laughs> you're speaking to the mind. Um, so th there's a couple of things I wanted to uh, talk to you about in just from, from the little bits I've read in that book. And um, the, the, the seven steps of awesomeness, um, I wouldn't mind just touching on them in, in this podcast, if that's okay with you right now. So the first one, if I kind of read them out in the order there in the book, and if you could just give a little bit of background of why you think they are, there's such important steps to be to be taken and this first one I love because people probably wouldn't relate it to a fitness journey but I find that once people become very self-aware it, it does come naturally but the first one is be kind um and I really like that as a step towards on this on the fitness journey so if you could elaborate on that one a little bit 
Um, I, I also view humans as being, you know, very contradictive. Mm -hmm. uh, we all have contradictions. Everything we do is a contradiction. And we say we want people to be nice to us, but yet we don't be nice to people. You know what I'm saying? So I, which have I've screwed up so many times and, and not been kind, but mm. I, I just feel like that if we were to initiate kindness, we would then have that law of the mirror, right? It's mm. like, or law of, law of attraction is what you give out, you then get back. And that one is probably the most important thing. And, you know, I don't know your listeners and where they live, but like in the United States, right this second, we have a lot of unkind people. <laughs> mm, yeah. And, uh, well, I won't say a lot. I, it's probably not as much as you would think, but their voices are louder. And yeah. if we would just if we would just take the time to remember what we're saying to people and how we act to people, our lives would be so much better. I think um, <clears throat> the problem is I think given the opportunity, the the person would be kind. It's the people. It's it's when you pluralize it and you get groups of more than one person together, and then they start to kind of uh, strengthen each other's opinion about bad shit that the badness starts to come and, and that's when, you know, the, the unkind things happen. I, I spoke to, um, in fact, he was the guy that, that put me in touch with yourself, uh, Galen London, and he's obviously in Chicago where stuff is, is kicking off quite badly there at the moment. And yeah, it's an uh, <clears throat> interesting case just all around the world of, you know, it, it seems like a day doesn't go by where you see another something else pop up. Um, I, I try and avoid the news, to be honest, um, as a rule, but things always pop up in your Facebook feed and stuff like that. And it's, you know, we're naturally hardwired probably from an evolutionary point of view to pick out bad stuff um, from a survival instinct. And unfortunately, that is the stuff that gets shared around and, and promoted the most. So we do pay attention to it. So that's we, why we, mm. we are sold. Okay. And this is, this is off topic, but we, mm. we are sold negativity because our brains are wired to be attracted to it. Because mm. when you find negativity, you your reptilian brain is all about survival mm. so i must serve i must survive whatever this is so therefore i need to be careful of whatever this negativity is mm. so i will harp on it versus it's just like the news you know i, I i've done so many uh, all right uh, hi, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, sorry about that. We just had a little technical glitch. My router decided to reset itself halfway through the uh, half through the interview, just as Josh was about to say something extremely interesting. And now we have to completely reset our minds and get back into the flow of things. But yeah, uh, Josh, carry on with um, with what you were just about to say. So I, I was I was talking about you know the the news because you were saying that you try to stay away from the news. And I'm the same way. I refuse, I refuse to watch the news or really anything on TV for that matter. But mm. what I was saying was, is because we're wired so much for negativity, the news reports on most things that are negative. And when I do charity events, it's like pulling teeth to get the news to come out here and report on it. Mm. But I had a client accidentally run her car through my studio. Wow. 
where where literally three fourths of her car was literally in the front of my building, and the news was here within five minutes reporting on the fact that car had run through a building. I, I can imagine, yeah, that that's what happens when you advertise on-site parking, um, stuff like that. That's happens. right. <laughs> but mm -hmm. yeah, I, I can imagine they were there so quickly, and and it just goes to show, and you know, I, I've always said, funny enough, speaking of cars, that. If you're driving down a motorway or a highway um, in America, if you've got the most beautiful sunset ahead of you, you know, the most beautiful thing you've ever seen in your life, but beside, you know, 100 meters up the road, there's a car crash, you'll be looking at the car crash and not the sunset. It's just yep. it's one of those things of human nature. And that's something that people can get a little bit of self-awareness with especially when it comes to um and, you know we're going off topic a, a kind of thing here so we still got another six points but um when it comes to self-talk you know we're much more inclined to self-talk negatively than positively um whichever way that happens and I, I think be aware that you're gonna pay more attention to the negative and see if you can flip it around to the positive we we are our own worst enemies and yes. We, we speak to ourselves more negatively than any person ever could say to us. Yeah, so true, so true. If, if we said to our friends what we say to ourselves, no one would like us. We, we wouldn't have any friends. <laughs> exactly, yeah, exactly. That is so true. Uh, so, yeah, definitely. So, again, on this show, I really like to give people actionable points um, that they can take away. And I think we've just, we've just covered a few there. So be aware of, um, of the negative stuff you're looking out for. Try to get some positive in there as well and, and be kind. Uh, moving on to your second of the seven steps is, is believe in yourself. And... Um, this one really resonates with me because the reason I got into PTing wasn't because I love fitness. Um, it's because I want to show people that they can do things they didn't think they could do. Um, that that is pretty much my, my philosophy behind why I do what I do. So if you could elaborate on that on that point, believe in yourself, that'd be great. If you don't believe in yourself, nobody else is going to. Mm. And you would be surprised at the amount of, you wouldn't, but the people listening to this would be, mm. the amount of people that have zero support system. Like no one, no one encourages them to do whatever it is they're trying to do. Lose 30 pounds, get a new job, run, start a business. No one supports them in those. Everyone's telling them not to do that, right? Mm. So if you want to do something in life, you have to be able to believe in yourself. And if you mm. don't believe in yourself, you have to find somebody that does. And there's so many people out there that have nobody that believes in themselves, believes in them. They don't believe in themselves and they end up not doing anything with their life. Mm. And um, I think that the, the support structure idea, funny enough, I had a conversation before I jumped with you. I recorded another episode with, um, with Jeff Lindsay, who's had an amazing transformational journey. But one of the conversations that we had was um, with your support network, <clears throat> be careful of associating with people who have a negative outlook on life because they are the people that will not, they won't call you out on the bullshit excuses you have. They will, um, they'll just let you spiral downwards. If you, if you surround yourself with people who will call you out on your excuses and help you in a positive way to, to progress, then, um, you know, that will reinforce that belief in yourself and it will be an upward spiral instead of a downward spiral. 
Absolutely. You are the you are the sum of the five people you hang out with the most. Exactly. Yeah, that's the conversation we had exactly around that quote, which I, I really agree with. And, uh, and if you don't know anyone positive, then <clears throat> stick on a podcast like this, because there's two very positive people speaking in your ears right now. That's why I say it doesn't have to be, you know, you, you can find your influence and your support network from anywhere. It can be audio books. It can be what you read. It can be mentors. It can be coaches. It can be friends. It can be family. Just look for those people that are going to put you on an upward spiral instead of a downward one. Um, and, and that would actually kind of relates to the next point on your seven steps towards on this, which is point three, and that is impact others. How does that, um, how does that relate? Greatest currency there is, is the impact you have on other people. Hmm. And if you are only doing what you're doing in life for you and you alone, you will always find excuses not to do it. But when you have the impact of the potential impact of others in your forefront, when you're doing things, you will go longer and you will go stronger because this world cannot be lived singular. I mean, I think people sometimes that are going down a transformational experience, whatever that may be, whether it's weight loss or you know, starting a business or whatever, changing their life from the better, go, going from doing drugs to not doing drugs. They have no idea how much impact that they have on other people. And that impact is worth more than anything in this world. Mm. No amount of money, no amount of possessions, no amount of fame could ever match the impact you have on other people because that person is going to look at you and be like, okay, now I need to go and be a better person or start a business or lose weight or whatever. Mm, and that, that correlates very strongly with, um, with the first point, be kind as well. I think, um, I remember speaking to a, uh, so I, I've moved like, um, five hours away from where I initially used to live and, I had a conversation with a lady there before I moved away um, and I was saying to her about, you know, oh, you, you've got these talents, you should start your own business and stuff like that. I was, I was basically just giving her, um, uh, giving her motivation and, and a bit of belief in herself. But anyway, I moved away and a couple of years later, I went back there and had a drink in the pub and she was in there and she was like, and by the way, I'd forgotten this conversation completely by then. It was just one of those random conversations you have um, have a bar after you've had a few drinks. And I bumped into this lady again and she said, you know what, I still remember that conversation we had a few years ago. And since then, I've started my business. It's doing really well. Can't thank you enough for that conversation. So it can always be just a little tiny things, a little tiny conversations you have. And that's why it correlates so well, be kind just to have those conversations with people be nice help them see the good of what they can do and the good in themselves and, and you never know where that's going to lead yes and even more important than your impact on adults is your impact on children mm. you know a fundamental problem that i see particularly in our country is the lack of positive influences that kids have mm -hmm. whether it be male or female or old or young or whatever it's like you know what we've talked about before you're the sum of the five people you hang around the most and if all you know is negativity then you're going to be a negative person 
mm. naturally. Yeah. So I always tell people that when they're starting to work out and if they have kids that they need to incorporate their kids in this process as much as possible so they can see what's going to happen. Mm. So that if, you know, they want to start being active, that they'll always be active because their mom was active or their dad was active or whatever. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I'm sorry, but I, I saw my dad go to the gym when I was a kid. And even though I didn't pick it up as quickly as I, I probably should have, that still was one of the reasons why I started working out because mm. I saw him go to the gym. Mm. Oh, okay. Well, this is, this is something you do. Yeah. It's, it's those formative years. They, they, they make a difference. And, um, I, I, I've never had anyone who I saw that worked out and went to the gym and stuff, but my whole family has been active through, um, uh, mainly through the work life more than um, more than you know physical pursuits and sports and gym and stuff like that and because my family's always been so I grew up in a zoo which is something I don't think I've discussed on the podcast at all yet but I grew up in a zoo my fam my parents were zookeepers um, so they were constantly active constantly with animals constantly moving we had a lot of animals at the, ha at the home as well um, so constantly moving active playing outside and stuff like that all the time and with that, that makes me think about what you said with children's influences now is that because they have all the access to social media where the bad stuff is highlighted all the time, now more than ever, those good influences in their life are needed uh, more than any time in history, I would say. Oh, yeah. No doubt. Truest mm. statement anybody has ever said. Yeah. <laughs> um so on on the next point and, and the, the kids is another thing we're going to come back to later on because we're going to talk a bit more about the work you do with charities and stuff so um yeah definitely going to come back to that um but the, the next point is is have dreams um again i, I like this one could you elaborate on that do you like dreams uh, have dreams you know once again i think all of these kind of run together mm. and you you have to have something you're chasing in life you know mm. people people need to they need to feel loved they need support and they need something to look forward to and if you don't have dreams you don't have aspirations you don't have anything that you wake up in the morning and you're like i want to work towards x mm. then you're just you're not living you're existing yeah and so many people exist but they never truly live mm. you know and it's not it's not to to be obsessed about you know which you know i've been guilty of obsessing about career and work and whatnot but you know it's it's about having these aspirations of being something whatever the hell that may be mm. yeah I, I think again getting back to evolutionary wise back in the day <clears throat> when we were you know still hunting and gathering every day had its own focus and that was survival. We, we had to do something. Now our brains haven't really evolved so much from then. So our brains are still looking for that next, you know, we still got that energy focus, uh, that energy that wants to be focused towards, uh, it's not dramatic as surviving now, but our brain doesn't realize that we've still got that energy that's wanting towards, you know, that, that goal of, of surviving, whatever that, you know, surviving is a metaphor for whatever goals we have at the moment to, to reach in that next place, to, to making sure we're still on top, to making sure we're still there with our families, still there with our network and just making it through to the next day. Um, 
and back in the day it wasn't a choice simply to exist and again that that's where our brain hasn't caught up with the society we've built around ourselves now i believe yeah i mean in thousands of years ago if you existed you were dead yeah <laughs> yeah pretty much pretty much there's a there's a lot of predators that we're gonna um yeah jump on your ass if it's just sitting on the ground not doing much to be fair um that's right Okay, and the next one, and this is an interesting one, because it's something that people struggle a lot with, and that is say no. <laughs> well, not only do people struggle with it, I struggle with it. Mm, yeah. Um, you know, I have had, uh, full disclosure, I've had many points in my life where I've needed therapy. And I think one of the biggest issues that I have as an individual is I have a hero complex mm -hmm. and I like to save the day. And it's not just because it's a, a narcissistic, like feel good moment for me, but it's also like, I like to, to make other people feel good or help. Mm -hmm. And what you're saying yes to, you're also saying no to something else. Mm -hmm. And that was a hard lesson for me to learn is what do I choose to do and what do I choose not to do? Mm. And I've turned down, as I've said before, I've turned down jobs and said no to them because I wanted to say yes to something else. Mm. And it's, it's a difficult thing every day to pick which one you're going to choose. Yeah, I agree. I mean, in terms of saying no, I, I came to that realization, but through a completely different path. Mine was, um, <clears throat> mine was, I would say yes to so many things. I either couldn't get them done or wasn't doing to the best of my abilities. And so every decision we make and everything we stick with comes at the expense of something else. And it's, it's a pleasure pain, um, kind of sliding scale. Um, and it was causing me more pain to say yes to do everything because I knew I'd be letting someone down eventually if I said yes and I wouldn't be able to do it. So saying no became less painful to me because I knew that in the long run it would actually be better off. I, I wasn't going to make promises I couldn't keep or I wasn't going to do something that I was going to do lower than what my standards demanded of myself. Um, so yeah, it's the same outcome, just slightly different paths there. And saying no has become an integral part to to my self-awareness, to be completely honest. Absolutely. Mm. I agree. Um, and I love, love the next point. This is one of my favorite ones and uh, not always possible because we're all guilty of it sometimes, but don't care what other people think. <laughs> uh, if like, like take my books, for instance, right? Uh, particularly the third book I wrote, To the Grave on Empty. There probably is some colorful language in there. There's probably some, some ideology that people would very much disagree with. But I don't care. Mm. You know, it's like it wasn't, it's not meant, I'm not for everybody. And I, I've, I've made that stance as a trainer and a coach, is I don't want to be for everybody. Mm. And I can't, care what people think i've been through too many things in life where people have said you know negative things about me or whatever the case may be but you have to tune those things out because if you listen to all the naysayers in the peanut gallery you're never going to do anything because hmm. everybody's going to tell you their opinion on whatever it may be but hmm. you have to 
you have to have tunnel vision and you have to continue to press on. Because if you don't and you listen, you're never going to do shit. Yeah, no, that is so true. And the, the thing is, the more people that you aren't for, it means you're going to resonate stronger with the people that you are for as well, because you come across as a more authentic version of yourself and you're going to resonate so much more uh, clearly with those who are you know, picking up your message. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. And um, so moving on to the last one of the seven steps of awesomeness is, uh, is never settle. So I'm, I'm, I'm interested on this one. Uh, Lou Holtz, uh, the famous uh, coach of the Notre Dame Fighting Irish, uh, made this quote and said, never settle for second when first is available, mm -hmm. and first is always available. So settling is, you know, whether it be settling on a job, settling on a result, settling on a relationship, settling on whatever. It's like we always have to be on a quest of, it's not about being on a quest of finding something better, okay? It's not that whole the grass is never greener on the other side concept. But it's about always continually to push the envelope in every single aspect of our life of how could this be better? Mm -hmm. How could we make this better? Instead of settling on something to where then at some point what you thought it was is not going to be what it is. You know, if, if you, if you have these talents in the world of being a, you know, a talented engineer to be able to create buildings and draw them to like this immaculate uh, conception, but you're working at a grocery store, you're not using your talents, mm. you know, you're, you're settling for something mm. that yeah. is wasted talent that goes to the grave that never got to be released. Mm, yeah, there's that, I can't remember who said it, but basically, uh, was it? I can't remember who said it, but basically, um, imagine you're lying on your deathbed and standing around you is all the ghosts of the things you could be done, like the book you didn't write and the people you didn't love and stuff like that. But yeah, it's so true. Um, I, I think it correlates very strongly, though, with the idea of, principles because if you're not going to settle you you have to kind of have a, a, a good understanding of what your personal principles are um and th that's something I, I don't know if that's something you touch upon yourself in your books i haven't got that far into them and uh, one i've read yet but um do you have any view of like building and and uh kind of recognizing what personal principles are to the individual when you say principles you mean like values like what yeah like so okay. I mean, so principles so to me the idea of a principle comes very very closely with um never settle so for me um if i've got a certain principle it would be like okay so this is what i do i'll never let myself go below x point if that makes sense that yeah i mean i think it's i think it's like we have to decide upon what we stand for mm. you know like what what do you stand for like probably uh, one of the more controversial things in the United States right now is the national anthem. Okay. Mm -hmm. And the professional athletes choosing to kneel for the national anthem or stand. It's like, we're arguing over this whole concept. I could care less who kneels. Okay. But I'm never going to kneel. It's just mm -hmm. not my, it's not my value. It's not my principle. I stand for being very proud American. So these are things that 
you know, I'm never going to settle or I'm never going to think what someone's going to think of me or what they're going to say about me because this is what I stand for. Mm. So you have to just, and that's the problem with, with some people is they have no clue what they stand for mm. because today it's this and tomorrow it's that. And there's never any consistency. Mm. You know, what the hell is it that you stand for? Who are you? Mm. I think the problem with, with that is, and I, I'm not taking responsibility away from the individual, but sometimes if the individual hasn't been enlightened to the fact that they they're better off standing for something because we're in a world of so many distractions where it's almost like the world around us is programmed not to make us think about things like this. Um, it's yeah. you have to have uh, almost a moment of enlightenment to to come to some of these um, to come to some of these facts. That is where not being part of the pack, mm. you know, stand, standing on your own two feet and not going with the majority mm. and actually choosing to make a stand and go with the minority or mm. be by yourself or whatever, that's individuality. That's yeah. who you are as a person mm. and choosing not to be distracted by everything that they're trying to distract you with. I mean, mm. I mean, these things, I mean, distract <laughs> the hell out of people, you know, it's like your phones, every, you could do everything on your phone. Like literally I see people just having conversations with somebody across to the table from them, but they're on their phone texting. It's like, you're distracted constantly. That's all mm. we know, you know? Yeah, it's it's madness as well because we wouldn't have even thought about having something like that twenty years ago. I, I don't even know how often I use my phone for phone calls. Like maybe once or twice a day, really. To be honest, my actual mobile phone, and uh, yeah, that that's the rest of the time it's spent doing stuff that my time would be better served somewhere else. I expect. You know, I'm I'm not immune to right. distraction. Still get distracted all the time. It always happens. Um, and in terms of following the herd, I mean, I think for the listener. If you want to get a bit of insight into uh, maybe a, a good example for personal insight, if you've got any entrepreneurial friends who have started their own business or started something from scratch, go speak to them, have a chat with them, find out what spurred them on to create, to start something of their own. And they've had a moment of clarity at some point and said, no, I've seen it done this way. I can do it better. And just speak to them, not about the way their business works, but the way their mindset works around creating something like that. And that will, that will show you kind of a different mindset. That's not the herd mentality. It's not the sheep mentality It's individualism. So yeah, if you've got any entrepreneurial friends, I recommend perhaps having a chat with them to talk about their mindset. Yeah, because entrepreneurs are, there's less entrepreneurs than they are, people that work for somebody else. Yeah. So you're getting a different mindset that it takes to be your own boss versus mm. having someone else be your boss. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, you're not afraid to walk your own path, which I think is, is very important. Um, so yeah, I mean, according to the guest sheet that I wrote out for you, Josh, we, we've literally just spent the last, I think, 45 minutes going nowhere near some of the questions <laughs> that, I've, uh, that I've actually laid out for you. But um, I, I want to jump on, on something quick there. We, we've obviously touched a lot about mindset. It's something we're both very interested in. Um, now, as your business has, has evolved and you've worked with all of these different clients, all these different people, all these different other coaches for that matter, has your philosophy around fitness itself changed as well? Diametrically different. 
Yes. Mm-hmm. When I started this, as every which most every young trainer starts with their knowledge base on them personally. Mm-hmm. And then you realize everybody is different. And every day I learn something new. And being able to I used to be the guy that would read so much constantly. I would speak the language in which I read. I would talk to clients about their femur and their quadricep and their bicep and this and that attachments. And, and I realized no one gave a shit, mm-hmm. you know, an arm is an arm is a leg is a leg, right? They don't care. What they care is, is can you solve their problem? Mm-hmm. Or can you help them solve their problem? Can you provide a solution, a roadmap to an ultimate solution to whatever their problem is? And the problem that they think they have is not truly the problem that they have. And can you move maneuver around that to figure that out? So yes, my, the way I train, the way I talk, the way I approach is diametrically different today versus maybe even three or four years ago. Mm. I think that's a sign of a good coach because it's, it shows your open mindedness. It shows that you're willing to change. You're willing to learn new things. The person who, if you're not growing, you're dying. Basically, there is no middle ground. It's you've got to be willing to evolve um, over time as yep. time goes on. I, I strongly believe that. Um, and you work with. Um, I mean, we've we've probably already touched on this quite heavily, but you work with such a wide variety of clients. Are there any like key factors that? Um, I mean, earlier you mentioned mindset being one of the biggest parts, but is there any other key factors you recognize that perhaps um, stop people from changing or any key factors that help facilitate change? Anything that someone could take away with them today and think, well, this is something I can take a look at in my own life. I think what, what prevents change is honesty and self-accountability. Mm. What I mean by honesty is, is like I said previous. I think we look at the problem as being surfaced. Well, my problem is I'm 50 pounds overweight. That's not your problem. Your problem is you put everyone above you. You don't love yourself Mm. and you eat based on emotional reasons, which got you to be 50 pounds. And that's not everybody. Okay. I'm not generalizing people, but I'm just saying that, there's always a surface reason of people, what people think. And then there's the true deep reason of why they are where they are. What spurs change and facilitates the change is the recognizing and being self-aware of what's truly going on. That's half the battle. Mm -hmm. The other half is the actual effort that it it takes to get you to the place that you want to be. And the anticipated effort of what one thinks is not actually true because we have complicated everything by shoving diets and supplements and different workout regimes down people's throats that they have to guess on what truly is going to work for them. And they are impatient and they yo-yo back and forth to the point they get frustrated and then they quit. Mm. When really what it takes to get where you want to be is simplicity and focusing on your lifestyle and how to center 
your fitness and nutrition around you versus what your neighbor does versus what your boss does versus what this dude on a podcast said you should do. Mm, that I mean, I don't want to get into this conversation, to be honest. There, we've, I'm, I'm even hesitant to say it now because this is something I really want to speak to you about, but I've got a funny feeling we might need to schedule another call for this, as I mentioned to you before, um, before we jumped on this. I've, I've looked through the book and there's something I really want to speak to you about. It'll probably be at a later date um, because there's some other stuff I want to touch on in this episode. But, and that is about people making comparisons to themselves and the quest for perfection and something you've put in the book that I've never heard of before, which is uh, the Nirvana fallacy. Um, but very quickly, I guess, if you could just say what the, the Nirvana fallacy is and then we're going to move on from, from this topic because that's something I want to cover at a later date with yourself. But yeah, just, just for um, context, the Nirvana fallacy. So Nirvana other than being a band is mm. is about this this world of perfection you know it's like that thing like perfection actually exists you know mm. when in in reality nothing is ever really truly perfect your your life is messy everything is messy you know mm. and there's even concepts out there about uh, messy perfection you know it's like the way people think that results happen is on a linear scale it's literally they think it's a straight line mm. and in all actuality it's lots of ups and downs and you know going round and round and we set ourselves up for failure when we believe that perfection actually exists and we have to be perfect in order to truly get results and that just isn't true. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I have massive issues with the idea of perfection. Um, I so whenever I whenever I take on clients, especially the online stuff, I automatically put them on a. Um, but I say I'll for them. They have access to a twelve-week course. It's basically around mindset and, and other things I do. And one of the things I say is just ignore perfection because it's going to stall you in the long run and in, in the short run as well if, you, if you're constantly looking for perfection you're never going to get it and it's going to stall your progress straight away because you're never going to attain that idea that's in your head instead just move forward every day should be focused on i guess give you a good example i just started a an online client and she has got a ton of chaos in her life and she's been looking for somebody that can hold her accountable to certain things. I gave her a very simple task. I want you to, to drink 80 ounces of water per day and that's it. You got no other tasks, right? Mm -hmm. And so she shoots me a text and says, Hey, today I got, I got 90 ounces of water. in," And I was like, awesome. That's, that's great. And she's like, well, it's only day one. I was like, celebrate the small victory. Mm, 100%. It, it clicked in her because then that creates a snowball effect of positivity. Well, I accomplished this. If I continue to accomplish that, I may be ready for something else. And then I can build upon that like a house. Mm. Versus, versus focusing on I have to eat 100 grams of protein and 200 grams of carbohydrates and whatever grams of fat every single day, or I'm not going to get results. Mm. Yeah, I like that. Mm. You're going to yeah. fail. 
Yeah, 100%. It's, we, we hold ourselves to, I, I think it's the, um, it's the relationship between the extreme ends of the scale. It's, the, it's literally all or nothing. If we're not doing everything perfectly, we don't want to do it at all. And people have to get this idea of perfection out of their heads so they can make progress because otherwise they'll, it, it's so skewed to the wrong end of the scale that, um, you know, we can be, <clears throat> we can be, um, if we're 75% on the, you know, on the top end of the scale, so only 25% down at the bottom, we're 75%, we're still going to be making progress. In fact, 99%, it's only that 1% we're not. But if we're nothing but that 10% at the end of the scale, we think it's a waste of time and we disregard the progress we'd make with all that other percentage. Does that make sense the way I just explained that or is that completely? It, it, it absolutely makes sense. Yeah. It's because we feel like we have to be able to give 100% and if we can't yeah. give 100%, we want to give nothing. <clears throat> the reason why people are perfectionists is because this is my opinion is one of two things number one they want to be able to control everything and in mm. order to control it they have to be perfect or their concept of perfect or number two they don't really want whatever it is that they're trying to attain and if they can't be perfect it gives them an out not to do it mm. Yeah, that's a very good point. Yeah. And uh, it's almost uh, a keeping up with the Joneses kind of scenario where because everyone else is trying to reach it, they think they need to reach it too, but their heart isn't in it. So they just, yeah, right. they, they don't bother. No, that makes complete sense. Um, anyway, yeah, so that I think that, I mean, I, I definitely, as you could tell, I definitely would like to have another conversation with you down the line because there's plenty more conversations around your book that I want to speak to you about. But um, for now, let's carry on with the, with the format of, of um, how I laid out the original questions. So th the next thing that I would like to have a chat with you about, we've been on, how long have we been on for? Uh, hour and 25 minutes now. So um, yeah, let, let's talk about the, some of the work you do. So you've already mentioned a couple of charities and stuff. And in my notes that I made from our first conversation, it's, it's not just the one you've already mentioned, but there's some other charities you're involved with as well. So you talk about your kind of involvement with that, why you get yourself involved. And there was a 25 hour marathon that you spoke about as well, which I'd be interested in talking about. So yeah, just anything that you think is relevant around that side of what you're, what you're up to. Um, uh, doing charity work has always been a, big thing for me mm. um i think it was because my parents had set an example for me when i was a kid on always trying to give back even if it's a couple dollars here or volunteering or doing something for somebody else mm. and so when i was running those 36 gyms i would try to do charity events for cancer and things of that nature and always wanted to be a part of that but when you're a part of the big box scenario as we've talked there's not a lot of control you can have with that so the first thing when I went out on my own was I wanted to make charity work be a cornerstone of my business so probably the thing that I'm most well known for is we created this event where we would train on the hour, every hour for 25 straight hours to almost like a marathon of sorts to raise money for this charity that's local to me that, do, that does uh, routine surgeries for people who don't have insurance. Mm. So 
we've done this five times and we've raised $203,000 in the last five years. Mm. So we, we, it's, you know, it incorporates fitness. It gets people to work out who may not work out. It's in January. So kind of gets people moving in their new year's resolutions. And then what we've done the last two years is we've invited other fitness trainers and studios to join in. Mm. So they've actually been in my studio teaching classes to their people. So it, it like brings all these like-minded people together to, you know, do one thing and one thing only is to benefit this charity that does such great work. That's so amazing. Is there any relevance to the fact that it's 25 hours in particular? <laughs> so it started 24 hours. Okay. Mm. And I am a, I have to push myself to like the point of death sometimes. Mm-hmm. So on the fourth year, I had this, I had this great idea that I wanted to have a different charity that we would incorporate into this. So it happened to be a, uh, a charity that uh, did uh, drug, and reha- uh, drug and alcohol rehab for men. And the only time they could come in was at the tail end. So I went from being 24 hours to being 25 hours. Excellent. That's just, uh, just that one extra, just that one extra. I like it. It's, it's, that, it's a good just, correlation for mentality. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the people, and, and I've got, you know, some great people that help with this and they're always like, I mean, is this going to be like a 48 hour thing sometime? And I'm, you know, no, because it ends up being, I'm up for at least 40, 42 hours straight. Mm, yeah. And what what charity is that for that you um that you do that for again? It's it's called Surgery on Sunday. They do uh they do their surgeries one Sunday a month and they do like random or not random but routine surgeries like gallbladders, uh they do some some eye surgeries, cataracts. Um so what would be you know, routine for people who have insurance could be deadly for people who don't. Mm. So, so that's where we're, your, um, we're we're privileged in the UK that we obviously have the NHS, and we, I think we some of us take it for granted the fact that all of our healthcare is is covered anyway by the, the National Health Service. Um, right. Just for um, just for a little bit of um, clarification, how much roughly would a routine surgery be for for someone having that if they aren't insured? I don't know, it could be like, how long is a piece of string, but uh, yeah. I, I would say that if you were to to do this surgery all in, would probably, some of these surgeries would cost fifteen twenty thousand dollars mm, $20,000. Yeah, and, and that's crazy. And, uh, you know, most of my listeners are obviously based in the UK, and it's just interesting for, for the context to uh, maybe have a bit of appreciation for the, the fact that we have the NHS over here as well. But that's uh, definitely a worthwhile um, to, a worthwhile charity to to be working for um when we had our initial conversation as well you were uh, you said that you were um involved with a charity group i think that rehouses women coming out of sexual slavery as well is, is that something you're involved with? so my third book um i got paired up with this group uh called the refuge for women and 
I, it's kind of been a, 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 an interesting thing with my career in fitness is, you know, the majority of people that I've trained have been women. And I can't tell you over the course of 17 years, how many conversations that I've had with women who have been sexually assaulted, sexually abused, or in some cases trafficked. Mm. And my ex-girlfriend was, was heavily involved in this organization. And so I was like, I got to be involved with this. So uh, they have houses all over the country where they take women who have been sexually exploited or sexually trafficked and they house them and they rehabilitate them to the point where they get them back on their feet and they, they put them back in the workforce. Mm-hmm. So we've, we've raised, you know, quite a bit of funds for them from the book and some other things that we've done. Oh, that's amazing. That's amazing. So, um, yeah, you're always doing, Oh, well, there was another one as well, actually. Um, the, the buying bikes for kids one as well, you mentioned on our, our initial conversation. <laughs> so I have a client who came to me one day and she said, I watched this YouTube video of this organization that would give these bikes away to kids who have like um, physical ailments or like several palsy or, or just limitations, we'll call them. She's like, I would really like to do that. And I was like, all right, then let's do it. And then she looks at me like, well, what, what do you mean? Let's, let's just do it. So we created this charity called Operation Joy, where we buy these bikes for kids who have these special conditions so that they keep active, Mm. you know? So we actually gave one away in April to this girl who has spina bifida. So her spinal column is not fully grown and she doesn't have full use of, you know, her limbs, but this bike is created in a way that would keep her active. And the joy that these kids have, because most of them have siblings who are fully active and they Mm. can't do what their siblings can do. So she just was like the boat, like the happiest person on planet earth that we gave her this bike that she could then ride with her, you know, her brothers and sisters. That is amazing. I mean, it's just, yeah, to hear you're doing so much it is inspirational, to be honest. It is, it's so good to, to hear all the different ways that you'd like to give back. Um, and, you know, with, with no sense of return either. It, it's all just, it goes back to your first point, uh, which is be kind, I think. Um, and make an impact as well but it, it speaks to all your points and that's I think that's where it's that's where it shows that you it isn't just some you know marketing terminology used to, to, to do anything it, it's really coming from you as a person and you live it and you embody what you what you put down on paper and what you say so that's really something to to respect a hell of a lot um Okay, so we're going to start to wind things down um, now. I, I do have three questions that I'd like to I'd like to finish off the podcast with. But um, before we do that, uh, what, where is the best place where people can find out about you, about maybe your online services, your in-person services, follow your story? Where, where are the best places to check you out? Oh, God, there's so many places. Um, I mean, Facebook. So my personal page is... Uh, I'm listed as Josh J.B. Bowen. Um, my website is aspirefitnessky.com. Uh, on Instagram, it's, ha- it's at Buff Gandhi. Excellent. 
And um, what I will do, I'll put all of them links in the show notes and I will also link to all the charities. What I'll get you to do is send me links for the charities as well after I'll put them all in the show notes so people can find them as well. Um, and so I'm guessing that through your website, people can find out more about your programs, your personal training, your online training, more about your, your gym and stuff like that, yeah? Excellent. Yeah. That is fantastic. So um, we're going to move on to the, 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 the three quick fire questions I like to ask everybody now. And I'm, I'm looking forward to your answers on these, actually. Um, have you got any idea what these questions are out of curiosity? I don't know. Like, nope. excellent. I prefer it that no way. Clue. That's good. Uh, so the, the first question <clears throat> is that uh, the whole world, all seven and a half billion of us, however many there are, most of us at some point, have it well most times have a screen in front of us whether that's a phone a computer a tablet a tv uh, a laptop a screen that you walk past in the streets anything like that there's pretty much always a screen in view of, of the majority of the population of the world let's assume that um <clears throat> right now you had 30 seconds to put a message on every single screen on the planet. Now, this could be a photo, it could be a video, it could be written word, it could be spoken word, it could be music, it could be a joke, it could be a poem, anything that you want, but you've got 30 seconds of screen time across the planet. What would you put on those screens? Go to the grave on empty. <laughs> I like that. Can you uh, elaborate a little bit on that? That was the title of my third book. So, like, like you, you said it, you know, when you're on your deathbed, you're, you're going to be surrounded with the ghost of all the talents that you had, all the things that you could have done. Mm. You're always going to have those regrets. Don't have those regrets. Excellent. Yeah. So, so live life to your, um, uh, I think that comes to what we're talking about. That's probably what I was trying to get at when I said about principles, you know, live life to your standards, the standards that you're capable of and, and make sure you do shit the right way for yourself. That's great. Uh, I like that. It's a really quick answer as well. Sometimes people take some time to think about that. Um, so the, the next question is, um, and again, credit where credit is due. This is, um, uh, my partner, Kimberly, she came up with this question. Um, and that is, if you could go back in time to any age and give yourself a piece of advice, knowing that it would impact the person you'd become today, uh, how old would you be and what would that piece of advice be? Uh, I've done this actually. Um, eight, I would go back to when I was 18 years old and I would tell myself that to appreciate all of the hard times that you were perceived that you're going through and that you still need to keep your head down and keep working and learn to love yourself better. Mm. I, I was going to ask you to elaborate on that answer first, but first of all, I want you to elaborate on the fact you just said, I've done this. I mean, have you actually time traveled back in time and told your 18s? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. No, I did this. I did this as an exercise of therapy once. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Yeah, we, we, we were discussing, um, you know, as, as a lot of uh, bodybuilder and people that, you know, are in this industry, we get fixated on aesthetics and things of that nature. And so we were talking about body dysmorphia and she was like, I think you should write yourself a letter to, you know, and I, and I did it. I actually did it. It's on my phone. Mm, excellent. And then, yeah, if you elaborate a little bit on the answer now, then that would be, that'd be fantastic. Uh, I have struggled a lot with myself mm. and 
you know, I, I, I have spent a lot of time by myself and I think that's played to a lot of my strengths and it's played a lot to my weaknesses because I, I think I had a fundamental problem with accepting myself for who I am. Um, and I think that was because I was doing a lot of what we've talked about. I was listening to everybody else and I was trying to live up to an expectation that really no one set for me. It just, that's just the way society was. So mm. I think I've gotten to the point now where it's like, I've, I've bucked all of that and just, you know, have kind of transformed to who I am and who I will be. Mm. Going off, or going off of that a second, because I don't want to waste this opportunity, actually, while you're on this mentality, you know, that, um, that kind of process of thinking and how you came about to that, would you say that was, that, that came with a little bit of wisdom with age? Um, would you say there was, a, there was more of a catalyst for it? Or that basically the, the route I, I'm looking for when I ask these questions is, is there anything, any advice you could give to people listening of how they can expedite those kind of realizations in their own head. That second part is difficult because for me, I think it was a combination of wisdom. I think the fact that I have surrounded myself with so many wise people mm. and that I have been through so many things that have forced me to then get to this point, you know, Mm-hmm. Um, and I've learned to appreciate all of the things that I have maybe failed at, like failed relationships. You know, I used to look at it as like, well, I'm just a failure. Nobody's going to love me. I'm never going to get this or that or whatever. But I don't, I choose to look at it differently as like that was something I needed to go through in order to get where I am now, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. So I think if you can look at, you know, life can be learned backwards but it can only be lived forwards. So you, you have to have both retrospects. You can't mm. live in the past, but you can learn in the past and you can live in the, in the present and the future. I really like that. Yeah, that's a nice little quote. There. I've never heard that one before. I'm, gonna, uh, I'm definitely going to write that one down. That's an awesome way to look at things. Um, okay, and the last of the questions is, uh, how would you define success? Hmm. I would define success as utilizing all of your talents to the best of its ability to then inspire and impact others in the greatest way possible. Phenomenal answer. Particularly children. Mm. Yeah. And then that is, you know, again, that speaks to your, um, to your seven steps of awesomeness or everything you just said there. Um, being, yeah, being kind, believe in yourself, impact others, have dreams, uh, say no, don't care what people think and never settle. That, that last answer does speak to all of them in one way or another. Um, again, just another example of you walk the walk, you don't just talk the talk. So I think it's, it's very awesome to see someone so congruent with what they put out to the world. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's really good to see. Um, Josh, it's been an absolutely fantastic uh, talk. And like I say, definitely, I'm going to read the rest of your books. So I'm going to finish the one I'm on now. Um, and if you're okay with it, definitely want to get you on for an episode in the future as well. So we can, I'm going to have plenty more questions to talk to you about. I can see that already. I, 
I, I enjoyed this. So, yeah, absolutely. Excellent. Anytime you want me on, I'll be on. Fantastic. Josh, um, it's been a pleasure. Um, you've still got the, the whole, pretty much the rest of the day ahead of you. So, um, I hope you have a fantastic day and I'll be in touch soon. All right. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. Cheers. That was an absolutely phenomenal episode from Josh. I really enjoyed having a chat with him. And it's quite interesting for me seeing the similarities and differences between coaching on different places around the globe. And to be honest, I say differences, it's mostly similarities that are there. Um, and one thing I'm starting to pick up is about the modern coach is um, how they're kind of going for a holistic view with mindset and you know uh, lifestyle strategies being first and foremost even above exercise and diet because without the right mindset there it's very hard to achieve results in the other things also don't forget to check out 3585 the free facebook community where you can learn all about 358 join in the banter ask questions get tips tricks and help as well as look at the unit section to put yourself through the paces with the 358 program please leave a review on stitcher or apple podcast wherever you're listening to this because it really helps spread the word even further and until next time live well